0: Welcome to In Conversation, the regular podcast of Encompass. Go to encompass-europe.com for free access to all our podcasts to date. This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Daniel Dalton. Dan Dalton has just been appointed as the new CEO of the British Chamber of Commerce to the EU and Belgium, and before that, he spent almost five years in the European Parliament as a Conservative member of the European Parliament. And although we're going to talk a lot about the business community and its role in a post-Brexit world, Dan, I would like to start, if I may, on your your previous career as a a professional politician. And yes, you're a declared Remainer, that's not a state secret. What was it like being a Conservative politician uh, who is basically a Remainer? Well, I mean, first of all, I don't necessarily like
1: those terms still being used. That, you know dividing everyone into remainer or brexiteer which is the way politics has developed over the last three or four years I think um, does a disservice to politics as, as a whole now I was a remainer yes um, but I wasn't alone in the Conservative Party being a remainer, uh, being a remainer there was a good proportion of the party who, who also campaigned for and, and, and wanted to stay in the European Union my view um, very clearly was you know I campaigned for that uh, but we lost. And I think the minute that we lost the referendum, my view was that I needed to be part of that sort of proactive group that made sure that um, we did deliver on the result, uh, but we made sure that we did it in such a way that, um, you know, a relationship can prosper going forward, whatever that relationship is between the EU and the UK. And and I think there were many Conservatives who were in the same boat as me. Um, You know, also, I would say, um, I think for many people involved in politics, the europe question has been the most important question i i think on both sides of, of the agenda but for me that wasn't why i got into politics you know um, and it was a very very important issue but to me there were other issues that were more important um uh that got me into politics in the first place and that sort of um that i wanted to push forward and um so i think maybe slightly different from some other politicians uh I, you know, Europe was vitally important, but it wasn't the only big issue that we should have been working on over the last couple of years.
0: Okay, well, let's move on. And I will come to your new role in a second, I promise you. But before that, uh, what do you think uh, has been or will be the impact of the COVID-19 uh, epidemic or on the progress of the negotiation between the UK and the EU on this so-called transition? As we all know by now, many of the discussions are... Plan discussions and talks have not taken place because of various problems. Uh, both negotiators on both each side have actually fallen ill so at one point, uh, and number of meetings had to be cancelled or rescheduled. Uh, do you think the the UK is still on track to to conclude an agreement by the end of this year?
1: Well, it hugely complicates those negotiations, which were already very very tight. Um, I, I, you know, I think from from my perspective, I think there is a a will on all sides to try and get um, some sort of positive uh, outcome from this before the end of the year so that everyone knows where where we stand where we go into next year I, I think um, you know when we talk about going beyond next year in terms of the, the the transition period that that poses real problems for for everyone it poses problems for businesses because they still don 't have any certainty of, of what the final relationship is is going to be so um, I think it complicates the situation. Now, the reality is, of course, the negotiators can't meet in person with, with COVID-19. Um, and there's probably a limit to what you can do uh, through conference calls and, uh, and the like. So um, at the moment, it complicates it. I think it's still too early to say that it actually means that that we can't conclude it before the end of the year. Um, and we've, I think, got to wait to see how COVID resolves itself, whether the negotiators can meet in person Uh, at any stage in the next uh, few months. Um, I mean, I've always been of the belief that there was always likely to be a basic deal agreed before the end of the year that would probably then be built on going forward, Um, simply because I think the political uh, imperative on both sides is to get something done by the end of the year. I mean, it's very clear from the general election result in the UK that that's what is expected of the government. It's also clear from the EU side that if this um, current sort of um, relationship that the UK has where we're sort of in everything but but not formally in the EU continues beyond the end of the year, then there are real issues with budgets, uh, the financial framework for the next seven years, all of these things. So I think it's still in everyone's interest to try and get it done. The real question that no one can answer is, can can that actually be done given the fact that, that you know, all the focus has to be on COVID-19 for uh, the foreseeable future.
0: Okay. I think sometimes people lose track of the fact that uh, we have, all the talk is about the the Brexit talks and the suspension or the postponement or the delay, all that kind of stuff. Will there be an extension to transition or not? And we maybe tend to forget that the UK has actually left the European Union. Uh, we have no more MEPs in the European Parliament. There's no longer a commissioner. Um, the UK representation has been rebranded as the UK mission to the EU, um, which, which obviously, makes my next question to you, Dan, Dan, is the influence point. How, from the government side, and we'll come to the business response in a second, what do you think the government is doing or should do, uh, A, to keep abreast of what's happening in all these uh, meeting rooms where decisions are being taken and policies are being shaped, uh, both to find out what's going on, on the one hand, and also try and influence some of the outcomes.
1: Well, I think this is where organisations like the British Chamber come in, because you're right. I, I mean, going forward, there, are, there is no UK um, representation at the table, but that doesn't mean that there can't be influence um, around and in the ecosystem of uh, where those decisions are made. And I think organisations like the British Chamber actually tie into that quite, quite clearly. They're, they're the organisation that can build a buzz for the British position and to make sure that we can influence a little bit some of those laws going forward. Um, of course, our relationship and, and, and the role is going to be different anyway, because when the UK is um, not in the single market, which will happen at some stage, um, you know, the role of the UK as a third country in UK business and UK individuals are going to be that role of outsiders trying to, trying to influence... Um, you know without actually being part of the the the, um, the market itself, so that slightly changes also our perspective because the rules that have been made in Europe uh, are not necessarily rules that are then going to also be um, enforced in the uk these are going to be rules that affect British companies British goods British services in the European market alone, not necessarily in the, the British domestic market so it's slightly different the role uh, and I think that actually means as a organization and other organizations that are from those third countries, um, that actually gives a bit of a, a, a ability to grow something absolutely completely different. Um, and I think the UK actually is in quite a good position to do that because we will still be the most important third country economically for the EU. We're still the biggest foreign direct investor into the EU. British businesses have been there for a long time and won't go anywhere. Uh, and we've got this institutional knowledge in the UK having been a member for 40 years. And I think all of those provide us with a um, uh, a bit of an advantage in comparison to other third countries. Um, so I think we've got to work out how we build on that. Um, and we've got to build on that from from scratch. But I think there is possibly a leadership role for the UK um, uh, as a sort of leader of many of these third countries that are on the outside and want to influence in certain ways. But um, but actually don't have votes
0: at the table. Okay, we'll come on in a moment to the, the specific role of Brit Cham, your organization and groups like yours. Um, before we come to that, do you have any inkling of signs or to, to suggest that the UK government is, is developing a kind of public diplomacy strategy to to, to tap into discussions discussion that they'd normally be part of intrinsically as a member, and now they're on the outside? What, are, what, as far as you're aware, are there plans to be better plugged in post-Brexit?
1: I think they will develop that as the time comes forward. I think at the moment, the government focus has been on leaving the EU and then leaving the transition agreement with a deal. Um, and now, of course, with COVID-19, has, has has taken a lot of the bandwidth of the government. So at this stage, I don't think that's probably high up on, on the government thinking, but I think it will develop as we bed into this role as a third country, I think, uh, given the fact that the UK is an extremely important geopolitical actor in Europe, uh, and an economic actor in Europe, I think that role role will begin to grow, Um, and I think the UK uh, government does have a real opportunity that it will develop over the next three or four years, I think, in being that leader of those countries that are on the edge uh, of Europe geographically, but are linked to the market. And of course, they've all got slightly different relationships. You look at the Swiss relationship is slightly different. The Norwegian relationship is different. The Ukrainian relationship is different. But they all have similar, you know, they've all got the same similar task. How to influence to make sure that that what happens within the European Union um, is also beneficial to them without having that voice at the table. So I think you will see that develop over the next few years. I don't think the government will have got to the stage where it's actually working out how to do that yet. I think that will come uh, as we ease into that role.
0: I can see a situation w- whereby we can develop in a moment whereby groups like yours will be very useful for the government in terms of finding out what's going on and trying to find common cause. But I don't want to go up press too much about on the politics but nonetheless the, and for the so-called party of business it's, it's shown it's a certain some would say, antipathy towards the business community. It's no secret that its relations with the CBI in the past have not been too too good. Uh, I'm not sure about the Institute of Directors. So from your perspective, from the British Chamber of Commerce perspective, do you think that you have a uh, within this ecosystem that you refer to a particular positioning and a role to play that other groups might not have?
1: Uh, a role to play with? with...
0: In, in terms with... of being an interlocutor with the government in a privileged position and being a, a point of reference, a point of contact with the government, British government?
1: Yeah, I think I think we have a role that's vitally important in, in um, going back to the government and trying to make sure the government is aware of the, the specific challenges or issues that are going to come up. And, you know, right, I don't think we make any... It wouldn't surprise anyone to know that there will be significant challenges for businesses going forward with their change relationship. But I do think because we're touching a little bit again on the same debates a little bit that we've had over right. the last few years, okay. and Brexit is done. You know,
0: okay.
1: whatever we think about all of it, from all of us, it's done. And the general election effectively, I think, ended the, the, the debate in the short term. The UK is going to leave the transition agreement at some stage, the transition phase, and we're going to be into a new situation. And the most important thing from there is that we all make sure that the UK has the best possible access that it can get to the EU, given the, 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 the confines of, um, uh, of the overall situation, but also that those links stay and grow stronger where they can do over the years that come, and I think that's where the Chamber and the other British organisations that are in Brussels and elsewhere in Europe uh, can feed into that. Um, and I do think there are, you know, opportunities for all of those organisations to do that. And, and that's one of the reasons why I was interested, of course, in, uh, in, in coming to the chain.
0: Well, in terms of the opportunities, then, could you give us a kind of an early uh, hint? Because you've only been in the job for a couple of days. I appreciate that. But um, you're the first CEO to be running the organisation in a post-Brexit world, I suspect. Um, without going into too much detail or giving away maybe classified information, but what are the kind of some of the ideas you have in your new role as CEO to 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 champion the the interests of your of your membership?
1: Well the first thing to say is the membership is not exclusively British. Right. You know they also include many companies who are not British companies but who have an interest in the UK. And that's very important for the for the chamber is it's not just the voice of British business, it's the voice of British business interests. So therefore um, the the links, the bilateral links are going to be hugely important uh, for both sides. Now, I think, um, as I mentioned earlier, there's a huge role for the UK as the biggest and most important third country from an economic perspective right. uh, that understands how the EU works and has institutional knowledge in how the EU works. Um, I think there is um, that's basically the key, the the key unique selling point. I think the chamber offers um, that we are able. No one else has them You know, the the, the Americans have a very very good um, organisation in Brussels, but they don't have that institutional experience or that
0: mm. the, those
1: shared economic links that we still have. I mean, uh, at the moment, the, the the economies in the UK and the EU are still run on very similar lines. So um, that is still there, and I think building on that is going to be important. What I want to do as well is make sure that the chamber is the a bit of a point of first contact for British companies that want to come into Europe um, going forward, that actually, because we've got this institutional knowledge from the EU side, maybe coming to Belgium as the first place is a good place to come, dip your toes into the single market, and then move into the rest of Europe from there, because we'll be able to give you some support because of the EU side that we, that, that we have. Um, so I think that's very important. Uh, and I think the Belgian side of the chamber in, in Brussels is sometimes uh, missed, because so much of it is, is, is related to the EU side. And I also think being a bit of a leader for those uh, third countries and, and companies from third countries who um, uh, are also looking to try and get into into Europe or work in Europe or understand how um, the European decision-making works. So I think that's how we're going to try and pitch the chamber. Um, and I think there is an, an opportunity there. It's clear the chamber can't do what it did before. You know, it's clear that we're we're not a member state and therefore there is likely to be some pushback from... Um, uh, yeah, particularly in Brussels that you know the UK now is not part of the family so therefore you know we, we we they may not look at us in the same light but I do think that there's a role there that we can build and that's exactly what I'm hoping we can do over the next few years.
0: Okay well a final question then Dan if I may. Um, a lot of focus on the debate even you say it's slightly um, passé is about the impact of uh, leaving the European Union, on the, obviously the, on the UK, on the UK economy, and relatively less focus is, is given to uh, the impact on the EU of the, of the departure of the, of the UK. I just wonder, uh, from a business perspective, one hears anecdotal stories about member states inside the council, for example, and MEPs where you used to work, expressing concern about things will be different, of course, with the UK gone. From a business perspective, do you, do you have any indications that companies are are concerned they won't have the the UK voice around the table, or that's slightly uh, overstated.
1: Yeah, this has been a concern, though, for a couple of years. I think ever since the, the, the vote, um, there is that concern that the UK often was the one who uh, would stand up and put their head above the paraffin and sort of argue against certain approaches. And some of the other uh, countries, um, smaller countries, would then... Come in behind them in the shadow of the UK, allow the UK to take the heat, but they would obviously have a similar interest. Now that's not there; they're going to have to work out a way of how they deal with uh, a new relationship. Which ultimately, you know, I think that Franco-German alliance in Europe is is going to be much much stronger now, um, and I think that's going to be a challenge for them. Obviously, the UK, you know, we we would often, you know, say we think this is the wrong way to go or we we would try and um, change things which uh, brought a bit of frustration I think from our colleagues in in Europe because the UK was often seen as the country that slowed down uh, a development uh, of the European Union and and of certain policies and laws in the European Union Um, you know frankly for UK business that's outside of the EU looking to come in now um, our position is going to be to try and make sure that that you have one set of rules often because it's much easier as a third country coming in uh, when you know that the rules are going to be the same. Uh, now, we just hope that those rules remain relatively flexible. And I think the UK did have an influence in making European legislation better in many cases. The um, UK was often on the, uh, on, actually on the winning side in many cases of um, uh, EU laws because it was able to mould those laws and make them better than what was originally being proposed um so i think that um is going to be important i think also uk decision making has an influence to play here as well though, because um as the uk starts making its own choices in in certain areas um from a business perspective if those choices um mean that the uk becomes more competitive in certain areas that means that the choice in europe is no longer cost free like. right when europe had a monopoly on the decision-making in the whole European continent and the wider area. It didn't have that competition, so it didn't necessarily have that that push to make sure that the laws were always, um, uh, you know, had a careful balance. And I think it will be interesting to see going forward if some sort of competition in decision-making uh, <laughs> does have an effect. And uh, we I don't think anyone can predict how that goes because that... That depends on the the you know decisions made of future british governments and uh, and also you know, how the balance of the two economies goes going forward um, I think from the business point of view of course, businesses would like the, the the two sides to stay as close as they possibly can and to make sure that we don't split up that well functioning market any more than is going to be necessary because um it's obviously you know better when you've got a trade agreement that means that those two co- those two uh, economies are are linked and you can sell goods across the two relatively um relatively freely um but we will see i think it, the worry I, I would have is that without the uk the european decision making becomes uh um less business friendly uh and that, that makes a big challenge for doing business, uh, business in Europe. It's always been the worry. As an MEP, I saw there were lots of um, proposals where I think if they had not been amended by, um, mainly by the British contingent, but with some other countries coming in behind, we, you know, we, we would have more restrictive approaches to many of the economic sectors, and I think that's, that's a danger.
0: Okay. Well, we have to leave it there. Dan Dalton, thank you very much for your time. No problem. Yes.